As we go to the scripture reading this morning, as Shannon comes to read, again, as I said at the beginning of worship, this is a trilogy, and if you have Bibles with you, open it. And it's a tr- it's, chapter 14 is a trilogy of stories, all with similar meaning. And if you want to know more specifics about it, again, come tonight at 6.30, and we're going to unwrap this even greater tonight at Bible study. But just preceding what Shannon is going to read is the death of John the Baptist. And what is it about that death that fits in with these other two stories? The second story, the first thing you're going to hear Shannon read is the feeding of the 5,000. What does that have to do with this? And then finally, the story of Peter out on the water. And I'll give you a clue, a hint. All three are about peace. Shannon. Now hear the word of God. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said to them, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides the women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they were saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you... Command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed a strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. 
I think you know by now that I, I just absolutely believe that Matthew is a genius. As are Luke, as is Mark, as is John, and others who've tried to write about these things. What I love most about Matthew is that he doesn't write things just on the surface. He allows us the opportunity to kind of mine them, to dig deeper, to see if there might be other meanings. And guess what? There always are. There always are deeper meanings to these words that we hear on Sunday mornings. And here we have this story, this trilogy in chapter 14 that begins with the death of John the Baptist. But in order to truly understand the depth, you have to go back three chapters to chapter 11. John is in prison. John is concerned about whether or not Jesus is who John just hoped and dreamt he might be. So he sends his disciples from prison and he asks that very simple question. Are are you the one or do we need to wait for another? And Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and quotes these scriptures about the Messiah and says to John's disciples, tell John that this is what you hear and see. And he goes through this list of feeding and housing and healing. And John, you no doubt hears these words. And can you just see him sitting in prison knowing he is about to die at the hands of one of his own? And suddenly he hears these words about who Jesus is. And he is suddenly at peace. And this story at the beginning of chapter 14 talks about, again, two kingdoms. The kingdom of John, now at peace, and the kingdom of Herod, and all of the unbelievable, abusive stuff that went on in this time. But John, even in the midst of that, is able to die in peace. Jesus then desperately wants to go and get away to mourn the loss of his cousin, his friend, and his colleague. And so he tries to find a place and walks a long, long ways to a place where he knows is remote. And yet, as he looks, the crowds have found and followed him. Now, for many of us, when we just want to be alone, we look around and we see crowds. What's our reaction? frustration why are they here i just want a little time can you just leave me alone especially in those times where we're mourning a loss like carl jesus looks at this crowd and doesn't have any of those feelings it is immediate for him that what he has for them is compassion a love for all of these who would even follow him to a place where he just wants to mourn. And the disciples come to him as confused as they are, and they say, now what do we do? (laughs) This crowd has followed, followed us. Please send them away so that they can find food. Jesus looks at all of them and says, no. You feed them. Friends, numbers in the Bible always, always, always means something more. So here's your test. You just heard the scripture. How many loaves were there? Thank you. Five. How many fish? Two. Two. What? Okay, do the math. That equals? Thank you very much. 
Seven is always a holy number. Seven always means where heaven meets earth. Anytime you see seven in scripture, that's what it means. But in this case, it's a different equation. In this case, it's five and two, not four and three. In this case, what this means is Jesus is going back and talking about a different kind of food. And going back and relating to the disciples one more time about who and what he is. Think back on your Sunday school and what in the Old Testament might be represented by the number five. And let me give you the hint. The Pentateuch, the books of law. The books of law are food. And the two, as Jesus comes back, and remember at the beginning of Matthew, he said, I don't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I come to fulfill them. Five and two. And what I am giving to you is not just food for the body. It is food for the soul. They feed these people, 5,000 men, probably 12,000 people, and they gather up not in abundance. We always think this is abundance of driving 12 baskets of food. It wasn't in abundance. Baskets are kind of, they're not baskets, they're baskets. 12,000 people are fed, and all they have remaining are small baskets of the broken pieces of the food. And those 12 baskets represent the disciples. And that thou nay take that food and multiply it into abundance. And then the next set takes it and multiplies it into abundance so that more and more and more and more people are fed physically and spiritually and thus you have the purpose of that story. Finally, Jesus gets a chance after this to go up onto the mountain and have solace a time of quiet to mourn the loss. This time he is not followed, but what he does is sends the disciples off, sends the disciples off in the boat to the other side. And once again, we have a story of the disciples being buffeted by the winds and the waves. One of the versions that I read last week used the word tortured. Tortured by the wind and the waves. It is stormy. And I want to remind you again when this scripture was written. It was in a time of absolute lostness in the midst of the church where more and more persecutions are coming and these disciples are facing those kinds of persecutions and they're feeling ready to sink. But here's Peter. I love Peter because he's so human. And you're going to meet my vision of what Peter looked like on Easter Sunday. And Michael Bruhan and his wife, wife Michael, Michael and Michael, she and he, um, <clears throat> are going to come and have their, their firstborn child baptized. The whole Bruhan family are enormous. And I don't mean enormous, enormous. I mean enormous. All of them are like 6'4 or 6'5 and weighing at about 350 pounds. And I look at particularly young Michael and I see Peter. Although I think... Michael Bruhan is smarter than Peter. So they're off being buffeted by the waves and they're fearful and, and they see this figure walking on the water coming at them and they, like anybody would say, it's a ghost. They don't understand what this is. 
And Peter being Peter looks out as Jesus uses the words very similar to I am. It is I. And in his own beautiful, wonderful, idiotic way, um, Peter said, well, Jesus, if it's really you, then ask me to come out there with you. Oops. Anybody here ever done that? All of a sudden you are confronted by something and you volunteer for something that you absolutely do not want to do. And then comes the invitation to go ahead and come and do it. And the one word that Peter absolutely did not want to hear, Jesus says, and I see him standing there rocking on the waves and looking into the boat at these odd disciples, odd A-W-E-D, but also O-D-D, and, and, and he's winking at them until he comes to Peter and he looks at them and he says, one word, four letters, come. But what I have is this picture of Peter say, you know, not wanting, you know, to, he wants to save face, so he puts his toe in the water trying to figure out whether or not it's jello. Uh, it's not, it's not concrete, it's not jello, it's water. And he dips his toe in there. And he puts all of his weight, that I mentioned 6'5", 350 pounds, pushing down on the gunnel of this boat, making sure that he looks like he's standing on the water, but he really isn't. And the whole boat shifts up this way and almost tosses all the disciples into the water. Jesus shakes his head. Peter looks at Jesus and finally lets go of that boat. And there they are. Jesus and Peter, standing on the water, looking at each other until the rogue wave hits. Now, you met Adam last week, and I, I, I have amazing stories of him sticking his cell phone out the window when a rogue wave comes and crashes over the bow of whatever size ship he's, he's steering. And it's a loud, angry, terrifying sound. And for Peter, this wave comes, and he suddenly gets almost knocked off his feet, looks around. He can't see Jesus anymore. The boat has, seems to have disappeared. And suddenly, whew, he sinks. As he's going down, he screams, Lord, save me. And somewhere out of nowhere comes this hand of Jesus who catches his hand right as he's about to go under. And as soon as their hands touch, whoop, He's back up on the water. And I have this vision of Peter and Jesus holding hands, being buffeted by the wind and waves, walking toward the boat together, talking about life. Finally, they get back in the boat. Jesus looks at him, and Shannon, thank you for saying it this way, as you read, in the most beautiful, loving, almost parental way, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And these stories, all three, are about peace. All three about what Scripture can do for us. All three about making sure that we're focused in the right place all the time, even when we're buffeted by the winds of life. John was able to die in peace. We heard Carl's story yesterday that so was he. And how important that peace is at that time. The disciples realize that their job 
is to feed and bring peace to others. Thus the twelve baskets and Jesus' words, you feed them. But remember to feed them, feed them me and what you've seen in me. And then Peter being uplifted, losing sight of Jesus, panicking, and as soon as that connection happens again, he's buoyed again and peace is restored as it is with the disciples. This is Lent, friends. This is Lent. This is that time where we look into our own souls and begin to discover our need for Christ. Our need for peace. But it's not just about us. We seek peace so that we can offer peace. We seek peace so that we can offer peace. We seek peace so that when we pray for the families in Oso and in Darrington in Arlington, we know that we bring a power beyond ourselves and ask that power to descend on that place. To the rescue workers and for those families who have yet to find closure and hope. We look around the world and we We gain peace so that we might offer it to others no matter where it is. And when it comes to the time that we're about to enter into a time of prayer, we pray from our strength in Christ because we've done what we need to do to stay focused there. This is Lent. This is that time where we refocus. And I want to challenge us if we ventured away from that already to refocus now this week. Create space, friends. Refocus on the one that will buoy you so that you can spread that love and that grace and that power to others. And with that in mind, will you pray with me? God, we need you. Gosh. We need you more than we want to even recognize. And why is it that in those times in our lives where we are buffeted by the storms, what we do instead of turning toward you is we blame you or we blame others when in fact what we need to do is turn and focus again on you. Christ, you said to us. Blessed are those, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what is right. And you show us in these stories that when we focus back on Scripture and our love of you, that we are clearly able to be filled by what is right. Help us do that this week as we prepare for Palm Sunday next week and then Holy Week after that of Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday. So that Easter Sunday becomes an incredible time of resurrection. We ask your blessing on these next two weeks. All this in Christ's name. Amen.